1: Well, we have taken a break from our study of Jacob for a few weeks. And uh, Scott has been taking us through the book of Nehemiah. And now for a few weeks, we're going to take a break from Nehemiah and go back to the, uh, the study of Jacob. But before we go back to Genesis, I'd like you to turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and I want to remind you, temptation is a trap. Temptation is a trap. I don't know how many fishermen we have here, uh, but I would guarantee, even if you've never been fishing, you understand the concept of baiting a hook, and you want bait that is going to attract the kind of fish that you are going after or if you're like me just just want to catch anything i don't care what's on the hook as long as something gets on the hook so that i could say that i at least caught something i can't eat it anyways i'm allergic temptation is a trap and in james chapter 1 james reminds us of the reality the dark reality behind the beautiful temptations that the devil places in front of us. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The Lord allows temptation. Now, the Lord will bring trials into our lives. Temptations in the form of trials. That Greek word has a double meaning depending on context. But God does not tempt man from evil, as we'll see. Look at what, what verse 12 uh, what verse 13 says. Let no man say when he is tempted, when when he is um, uh, when he sees the the bait on the hook kind of temptation, that I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted out oh, by the way, we're all tempted. We're all tempted. We're not all tempted by the same things specifically, but we're all tempted in the same categories, in the same areas. So let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. But verse 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own strong desires and enticed. He's enamored. See, it's it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to linger on the temptation. It's not a sin to be attacked, but it's a sin to drop your guard. And there is a very important distinction there. When we are drawn away and then we are enticed, when lust hath noticed, verse 15, conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished. Bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, when God gives you a blessing, there's not a hook hidden inside of it. But when the devil offers you something, there's always a hook hidden inside. The devil never tempts you. In a way that you can see the price tag. Not the real price tag. You can't read the fine print. Until it's too late. When you give in to temptation. Now, I want you to turn with me from there. To the book of Genesis again. Genesis we're going to look just at the very end of chapter 33. Before we move Lord willing this week and next week. Into chapters 34 and 35. And look at this Uh, completion of the household of faith, we've been talking about Jacob's uh, being chosen by God for the covenant to bear uh, and carry forth the covenant. That was a choice that God made while he was still in the womb before he or Esau had done anything good or evil. God had determined not their individual salvations, but which of them would carry the covenant given to Abraham, given to Isaac Forward. Just as Isaac, not Ishmael, received the covenant, so Jacob, not Esau, was to receive the covenant. And then the difference then became for Jacob that all of his sons would be heirs to the covenant, that they would all collectively carry the new name of God. Remember, when Jacob wrestled with God, God wanted him to win because God wanted him to bless Uh, to receive the blessings that God had been trying to give him. And so when God allowed him to win in that wrestling match with God, uh, chapter 32, God gave him a new name, the name of Israel. And that name is not just going to be his personal name, but it's going to be his family name. We all have a, a personal name and a family name. My family name is Richie, my Personal name is Darren. My nickname is DJ, or I got some other nicknames I won't I won't go into tonight, but uh, that I've picked up over the years. But but Richie is the family name. Israel is becoming his personal name, but it's also becoming his family name. And it is on the family of Jacob that God will pour out His covenant blessings. And so after that victory, he finds a new peace with his brother Esau. He has that that tense but also oh, beautiful reconciliation with his twin brother who he has been fighting with since literally before they were both born in the womb, and they make peace with one another. Now, it doesn't mean that they're all chummy-chummy for the rest of their lives, but the hatchets are buried, the past is laid to rest, and he gets this peace with his brother, and he's now moving back into the land that he's been exiled from, but the next danger that is going to come on the house of Jacob is not going to come from outside. This time it's going to begin within. And it's going to be because of the lure of temptation. And we're going to see tonight how Jacob's daughter was drawn into temptation, how through his daughter, uh, a young prince was drawn into temptation, how uh, through that tragic situation, that evil situation. Jacob was drawn into a temptation and Leah's two, bro- two two of her brothers in particular were drawn into temptation and the great impact that it had uh, on this household of faith, faith, excuse me. And so as last time we were together, we looked at the new peace that Jacob experienced with his brother tonight, there is a new chaos as sin and temptation enter again into the household of Jacob. Now, the first thing I want to show you is an unsettled home. And that is where we go back to chapter 33 and pick it up. In verse 17, after Esau and Jacob have parted, Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob then came to Shalem a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padem Aram and pitched his tent before the city. And there he bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Now, this unsettled home where he is coming into the land, this is not going to be his permanent place of residence we're going to see part of why tonight but he is not even though he is now back in the land and he's returned from his exile he's still far uh, from where he grew up far from where his father is and he's tried to settle one time and now he's trying again to settle and we still see that restlessness as he's trying to find his place and part of it is because he here here he is he is uh, wealthy in terms of his flocks and all of his herds that he has and all of that God has blessed him with. And yet he is still at this point a nomad. He's still a wanderer. He's still an exile, even though the land has been given to him by God. And so finally, after he moves the first time and settles again and and uh, uh, spreads his tent out, he purchases a piece of land. This is land that God has given him. But now, for the first time, he owns land of his own. He purchased it, but he owns the land of promise. And I want to remind you, there's often a price to pay in order to claim the promises that God has given us. And what I mean by that is that when God gives you a blessing, there is a a maintenance that goes into that. There is effort that needs to go into that. Uh. I am uh, very, very often reminded, and Gigi and I remind each other of how God brought us together and how uh, from other sides of the world that God brought us together and made us a family and gave us a, a, a ha- I can't call him beautiful, a very handsome young man uh, to raise. Um, but understand that, yeah, that's you, buddy. But understand that is a lot of work. That's a lot of work. The hardest job you will ever love is being a parent. And uh, by the way, being a husband is a lot of work, too, if you're going to do it God's way. Because husbands, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that means we have to die to ourselves and give of our lives to our wives and wives. It's not that much easier for you because you got to submit. You have to be submissive to a man who is not Jesus as if he were Jesus. And you have to be supportive of him and not mothering to him. And so it's hard for both of us. So so marriage is an incredible blessing. Children are amazing blessing. But yet there's a lot of work that has to go into that. And so this land has been given to Jacob, but yet he is still going to purchase it. Now, part of the problem, though, with this unsettled home, he's traveling. And remember why he's traveling, right? Remember why he is coming back to Canaan in the first place. It's because his father-in-law, who is also his uncle, has become a very, well, he's always been, but he's been exposed as a very miserly, controlling man, very jealous, very manipulative, very deceptive. And when his favor turned away from Jacob and he began to despise Jacob, Jacob knew it was time uh, to find a different home and so there's been a lot of upheaval and you if you've ever uh, had to move around and and when I was young um, I, I can't remember how many houses I think it was six or seven houses that I'd lived in by the time I was um, 12 and, and now one or two of those I don't remember because I was just a baby I was just really little but I remember a number of those homes and you understand that you know the relationships that that get uprooted and and just how stressful that can be, the, st- w- the stress of moving is one of the most stressful things according to um, uh, psychologists that what they tell us, w- w- what they know some things, I don't know if they know that as much as they think they know, but, um, but that is, we would all who have been through it would admit that's a very stressful thing. And so this unsettled home produces, notice, a restless daughter, a restless daughter. Now, Dinah is young when we find her here. We know that I'm not going to do all the math for you. We've done that before in this study. I'm not going to take the time to do the math, but um, you can check it out on your your own. Uh, Dinah's about 14, 16 years old at this point. And so, verse 1 of chapter 34 says, Now that they've settled, they think, now that they think they've settled, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. To see the daughters of the land. She is young and she is naive. And she does not know what she does not know about the world, about sin. And she wants to hang out with the girls. But these local girls are not good Christian girls. These these local girls don't even know who Yahweh is from what we can tell. And so she is hanging out with the girls, trying to figure out what it means to be a young woman and understand, remember, where she is coming from. She has an aunt who is also her father's second wife. And by the way, the one that he loves more than her mother So she has grown up in the half of the family that isn't loved as much as the other half. I think it's safe to say she probably has some daddy issues. I don't think we're reading into the text to say that. And even how Moses introduces us to her here in verse 1, this is Leah, remember, this is Leah's daughter. Oh yeah, she's uh, Jacob's daughter as well. But she's going and really I believe she's looking for trouble and she finds it. You're going to find trouble when you're not looking for it. But I guarantee you, if you go looking for it, you're going to get a double dose. And so when Shechem, now Shechem's father has already been introduced to us in chapter uh, 33. That's the man who is apparently the king or the chieftain or some type of leader of this tribe, this community, this village, uh, this city, however big it is, I don't know. But uh, Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, Prince of the country, we're told, saw her and took her and lay with her and defiled her. Now some of you has, some of you probably have a Bible that, and there's a heading that is, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm choosing my words here for obvious reasons, um, that it, your heading is probably more salacious than it should be. The Hebrew words that are used here, Uh, do they they can be they let me say this they can be used in the context of her being forcibly uh, chosen let's say by um, this young prince but they do not have to be interpreted that way and in fact there are words that we would expect to find in this passage that are not there words that are found for example in in 2 Samuel chapter thirteen, when David's daughter Tamar uh, catches the eye of David's son, and where uh, Tamar is abused by her own brother, those words—words um, words like um, hezek, which means to grab, and tofas, which means to seize—also uh, found Judges chapter nineteen, verse twenty-five, and another uh, uh, horrendous situation. Those words are not here. And so this idea that um, Leah was not complicit, that idea really comes from the Latin Vulgate. When it was translated into Latin, the word um, chosen in Latin was the word for ravished. But what we do see here is uh, not a woman who is not complicit, but a woman who is still a girl and is naive and is being taken advantage of in that sense. She does not know what she does not know. She does not understand what she has gotten herself into. And so there are five reasons that I that I want to emphasize why that is the case, why this is not as salacious as some of your, uh, Some of your study Bibles indicate, some of your uh, topical headings would indicate. Number one, we're going to see in just a few verses that Moses says that Shechem was actually the man involved in this sin. And it was a sin. Make no mistake. A one night stand is always a sin. But he, we are told, is actually more honorable than Jacob's sons. Notice also the second thing that his family does not expect Jacob or his family to be upset or offended. They don't think, he, this king doesn't think his son has done anything uh, that would cause any concern, from, according to their culture. He hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, he is now offering to marry this young woman. Notice also, as we'll see in a moment, that Leah's brother's, when they come up with their little plan that we'll get, get into in just a moment, they send Leah back with him to to live with him for a few days. They are not in fear for her safety. And notice that her father does not react as a loving father would react. Certainly a loving father would react if his father, uh, or if his daughter, excuse me, had not been in some ways complicit. And also, We'll see at the very end of this chapter that her brother's concern was that uh, if you see in verse 31, that that their sister would be viewed as a harlot. In other words, it was the nature of the encounter. It was the timing of the encounter, not the force of the encounter that her brothers are reacting to. And so. We see a young woman who is naive, whose father and mother should have probably done a little more. Not that you can't you cannot control your kids, okay, all the time. You are not, I tell you guys all the time, you are not responsible to make good choices for your kids. You are responsible to provide good choices for your kids. You cannot make choices for them, okay? That's not what God has called you to do. But you are called to provide them with good choices. And a father who has for years uh, been neglectful of this young girl's uh, mother, anyways, uh, Leah, and has not shown her the love and respect that she is due as his first wife um, certainly would qualify as a, a failure on Jacob's part. And so this... Uh, young, naive girl has captured the heart of this prince. And in verses three and four, we see what happens next as this prince who thought he was just going to have some fun all of a sudden finds himself lovesick because sin will always take you farther than you thought it would take you and always cost you more than it said on the outside of the price tag. And so notice verse three, his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. He did not just think he was in love. This this boy fell head over heels in love with this pretty little girl. And remember, Leah must have been a beautiful girl. I mean, her her twin sister was beautiful. The problem with Leah was not her appearance. It was her eyes. She had bad eyes. She had some type of defect specifically surrounding her weak eyes. And so when you're in a culture where that's all you see, right, because women are veiled, that's what's going to stand out. Now you drop the veil and she looks like her sister otherwise, other than her eyes. And so we would expect Leah was a beautiful young girl as well. And this lovesick prince has fallen so madly in love with this girl, I mean, uh, um, he's probably singing, you know, 38 specials, so caught up in you little girl, and um, he wants his dad to go uh, um, arrange this marriage. Shechem, verse 4, spake unto his father Hamor, saying, get me this damsel to wife. See, this is not the, the uh, approach of, of a man who just takes what he wants when he wants. He has fallen, in, he's sinned, he has sinned, but he's fallen in love, and now he wants to do this the right way, he wants to make this woman his wife. And so what happens next is one of the great tragedies in the history of the nation of Israel. Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. He had taken advantage of her. he had taken advantage of her. She, she had no idea what she was in for. And now his sons, Jacob's sons, were with his cattle in the field and Jacob held his peace until they were come. Dad does not know how to handle the situation because dad has been um, unloving to Leah's mother. And I'm sure he loved his daughter. I'm sure he loved all of his sons, although we know he played favorites. Boy, did he ever play favorites. He was far from a perfect father, far, far from a perfect father. But he is a passive man again. He has fallen back into the old habits. He's had this great victory. He's experienced this great blessing. From wrestling with the angel of the Lord to reuniting with his brother. And now, as he begins to get comfortable again, what happens when we get comfortable? Those commitments, those recommitments that we've made, they start, to, they start to leak. They start to leak. And he's starting to become passive again. And he decides that he's going to let his sons handle this situation. I'll let her brothers take care of this. A great, great failure on behalf of Israel. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. He, now, we, I'm sure he's angry. I'm sure he's uncomfortable. But he doesn't man up and deal with the situation. He tries to put it off on his sons. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. Now, I can remember getting upset, a friend of mine um, just wrote, and it wasn't salacious, it wasn't inappropriate, but he wrote um, some fiction about my sister that involved him kissing my sister. And I read it, and I was pretty upset just over that as a brother. I know how many of you have little sisters, but that got me upset just over that. And I had someone tell me, well, you know she's a pretty girl, right? Well, I don't, like, I don't want to hear that from you either. <laughs> don't look at my sister that way. And uh, thankful she found a godly man that, uh, that honors her and provides for her and loves her. But I'm trying to see, even though I would never, Lord, I believe I am true in saying this, I would never have gone and done what her, her wicked brothers did. But I'm trying to put myself in that emotion Of finding out about this one night stand, and the sons are upset, her brothers, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And by the way, this does not have to be salacious to emphasize that you wait until you are in a one man, one woman covenant. And that is what intimacy was created for. Into me, see, as one pastor puts it. Into me, see. When you have that covenant relationship and you are one flesh with the one you have covenanted with for life, not just until the wrinkles set in or not just until the bills pile up or not just until... uh, you get distracted with a younger model or or a, a, someone who has a better job than your husband or whatever that you are coveting together. And so this is a sin. This is a folly, this thing that has been done. But Hamor, this is part of his culture and Hamor communed with them, saying the soul of my son Shechem long is for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife and make ye marriages with us and give your daughters unto us and take our daughters unto you. And Ye shall dwell with us. The land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein. Get ye possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father, So Jacob's there. He's passive, but he's there. And unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes. What shall ye say unto me? I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. He said, Look, you name your price, and I will pay it. Now, Jacob. That should sound familiar to him because he worked 14 years for one woman, worked seven years for the first one, got tricked and worked seven more for the second for the one he really wanted. He has experienced falling madly in love like this. And Shechem is saying, you tell me what you want at whatever dowry. And notice it's not Jacob who steps up and mans up. It is the sons of Jacob. Dad is passive. And dad is entrusting these two young men who are going to prove to the whole world and all of history that they were not up to the task. Shechem and His sons answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and said, because he hath defiled Dinah their sister, and they said unto them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this we will consent unto you, if ye will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then will we give our daughters unto you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our, our daughter, in other words, our sister, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing because he had delighted in Jacob's daughter and he was more. Notice again, he was more honorable then all the house of his father, so, excuse me, not the sons of Jacob, but everyone else in his family, he was the most honorable man in the town. Okay, He was, n- he was not uh, described to us by Moses as a man of violence and a thief uh, and an abuser, but as a man who is honorable. Notice that. And Hamor and Shechem, his sons, came unto the gate of their city and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land, trade therein for the land. Behold, it is large enough for them, Let us take their daughters for us to wives. Let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male uh, male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not their cattle, their substance, and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And under Hamor and under Shechem his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of the city, and every male was circumcised, all that it went out of the gate of his city. And so after Jacob foolishly, passively allows his sons to set the terms and to, and to be in charge, the brothers trick this king and his prince son to not only have themselves be circumcised, but have all of the men in the city be circumcised and um Circumcision is not something that you want to have to deal with when you are an adult and there is no anesthetic around and there is no pain. There's no numbing of the pain. Uh, This is um, a very debilitating operation on these men, especially at this time in history. And so that brings us, as they have been lulled to trust, a bloody betrayal of Simeon and Levi. Look at, listen to what happens next, verse 25. It came to pass on the third day when they were sore. Moses, a um, little bit of maybe an understatement, and certainly in the English, I don't know what the Hebrew word there is, but the men were sore that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, that son number two and son number, th- son number two and son number three. Simeon is the second son. Levi. So we're talking about, again, I'm not going to do the math for you right now, but we're talking about probably around 21, 20 years old. Two young men came to pass that these two young men, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor, their sister's father-in-law to be, and Shechem, their brother-in-law to be, His son with the edge of the sword and notice where Dinah is. She's right there and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives. They took captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. This incredible rage leads to an incredible sin on behalf of Simeon and Levi. Now, by the way, Reuben is going to forfeit his right as the firstborn to receive the honor. All of them will be blessed. All of them are Israel, but he forfeits the right to be blessed as the forefather of Messiah. Because of another sin, salacious sin, that we'll get to, Lord willing, in a, in a week or two. Or, or a few, or more than that. We'll, we'll go, maybe after we get back to Nehemiah. But this is so serious in God's eyes. And again, this shows us that these men were not in the right. This was not some kind of holy justice. This was unholy. Now Simeon and Levi have forfeited the right to be the forefather of the Messiah in what they have done. Now Judah's going to have his own sin. But it, even though he is going to sin in a, in a significant way as well, yet comparatively, God does not hold Judah to the same uh, punishment that he holds his three older brothers and so god takes this sin of these two men very seriously as they pillage and murder and deceive and betray a city that had not as a city defiled their sister and the one man who had taken advantage of her had fallen then in love with her and wanted and was willing to give anything to have her as his wife and they in turn Murder him. Now, notice the fearful father's response. Here again, we see Jacob being Jacob and not being Israel. Jacob being Jacob and not Israel, that God has named him. Jacob said unto Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. He's not talking about his body odor, Elijah. He's talking about his behavior. To stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, and they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? Should he treat her as just a one-night stand. Well, he had not treated her after the fact. He was actually, Moses says, an honorable man and wanted to make it right what he had sinned and done and to actually marry Leah, and their response brought death and brought fear then to their father. Now again, this is yet another failure on passive daddy's part because... Not only has he failed to truly correct his sons, but he has failed to trust God. God has promised him. God has promised him that he will be with him. He has shown him the angel army, remember, when he came back into the land. He has allowed Jacob to win in an all-night wrestling match with the angel of the Lord himself. And yet he is falling back into fear. Falling back into passivity. But I want to close tonight, and we'll pick it up here next week with chapter 35, just verse 1. Just verse 1. As we look at the faithfulness of God. A fearful father, but a faithful God. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Now, it's interesting, God telling Jacob to make an altar to God. Notice he doesn't say make an altar to me. And I'll draw your attention just for a moment back to chapter 33, verse 20, where Jacob erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. El aloche literally mean God. It literally translates this way: God, the gods of Israel. God, the gods of Israel. What is he saying? That God is one, and yet God is more than one. God is one, one God, but we now know three persons. In our Sunday morning Bible study on Sunday, we were in Proverbs chapter 30, where Agar says, tell me if you know God's name or the name of his son or the name of his son. And here we see God, the gods of Israel, working with Jacob. Aren't you glad you don't just have a father? You have a savior and you don't just have a savior, you have a helper the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working for us, loving us, protecting us, providing for us. And God is faithful to Jacob tonight. And He says, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel and I want you to remember the promises I've made you and the faithfulness I've shown you. And so as I close tonight, I want to ask you, do you need a reminder tonight of the promises God has given you? Do you need a reminder tonight of the faithfulness that God has shown you in your life? I don't know. I don't need to know what is going on in your mind, going on in your heart, going on behind the scenes that maybe nobody here knows about. I will tell you, uh, I've been a pastor long enough now that not everybody who has a health problem, and and please... Th- we want you to share your health concerns. We want you to share your financial concerns. We want to pray for you. But just understand that not everybody feels comfortable with that. And some for some people, it's an unspoken. And you have no idea the health issue they're dealing with. You have no idea the financial issue they're dealing with, the relational issue that they're dealing with. You have no idea. And so I have no idea tonight what you may be. Maybe you haven't told me about. Maybe you haven't told anybody about. But is there something going on? You need tonight a reminder God has made promises to you. He will not fail you. He is not a man that he will lie. And remember the faithfulness that God has already shown you. That he's shown all of us on the cross, the empty tomb. But also think personally how he has shown you faithfulness over the years when you were running from him and now here you are on a Wednesday night wanting to pray with other Christians and worship this God who has delivered you. Remember his promises Remember his faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Amen. He cannot deny himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thankful, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. God, the, you, are, you are not shy about sharing the failures of men and women in Scripture. But, God, you are also not shy about pouring out grace and mercy in time of need. And if we confess our sins, Father... You are faithful. You are just to forgive us of our sins. All of our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness because, God, we have a, a Savior who has paid for those sins with his own blood and he has risen victorious. And it's, it's why we're able to come here tonight and pray to you, Father. And this, we, we praise Jesus for that and thank you for sending him for that. And so, God, we ask now as we turn our attention Uh, God, to the burdens that we carry, the unspokens, God, that we carry, the things that will not get mentioned tonight, but we carry them in our hearts. God, we uh, again just God are reminded of your faithfulness and your promises. And God, increase our faith in who you are and in what you will do. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our wanna program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.